Hello there, and welcome to the How to Market Your Horse Business podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me here today. Just in case we're new friends, I will briefly share about myself, and then I want to introduce you to a new friend here on the podcast today. But first, just briefly, my name, as I said, is Denise Alvarez, and my business, Storm Lily Marketing, is where I get to work one-on-one with horse business owners like you to turn your website visitors into your customers. I do that through coaching, as well as website design and content, email marketing strategy, and Social Stripe, my monthly coaching program. I do each of these things because I want to help you be out doing what you love to do, right? I know that marketing is not everybody's favorite thing, or maybe you do enjoy it, but you just need a little bit more information and a little bit of someone telling you what you need to do, right? So here on the podcast, you will find a mix of step-by-step strategies and basic how-tos to help you not only see what's possible for your business, but also to guide you through that process and help you to make it happen. And so today, one of the ways we are doing that is through an interview with my new friend, Alexa Major Wilcox. I know that you are going to love hearing from her. Now, if you did not listen to last week's episode, number 81, be sure to do that as well because Alexa manages marketing for Mike Major, who was on the podcast last week. So if you have not listened to that, be sure and do. But Alexa is actually Mike's daughter, and I had the pleasure of meeting her in person at Road to the Horse. And so when we chatted and she said that her dad could be on the podcast, I said, I would actually love to have you both if you'd be willing. I know it's a big ask, but I think it's so beneficial to hear from the horse person, so to speak, right? The person that's out doing the training, doing the one-on-one time, and maybe is not super into doing the marketing. And then the person that's doing the marketing, right? And how they ask those questions, how she helps her dad to figure out um, what are the questions that I'm going to share with you that she says is so brilliant. When they were trying to um, really figure out his brand before they went to Road to the Horse, right? And make sure they were on par with who they wanted to be and who he wanted to be and what they wanted to be doing. The question that she asked was, how can you be true to Mike Major and still make this function as a business so you can keep doing what you want to do? And maybe she didn't ask it that way with him, but that's how she worded it. You'll hear her talk about that in the interview. And I want you to ask yourself that question as well as you are listening. How can you be true to you and build a business that's true to you and who you are and allows you to do what you enjoy doing, but still make it function as a business, a profitable business, so that you can keep doing what it is that you enjoy doing, right? I thought it was such a brilliant question. And not only that, but Alexa is going to share some of the specific ways that they arrived at their answers at Mike Major Horsemanship and some ways that you can arrive at your own answers as well. Because my goal is to help you also build a business that's true to who you are. And so I think through this interview with Alexa, you're going to have so many great takeaways Now, one of the things that she does talk about is setting goals. And so I want to make sure that you know that I do have a free goals checklist that is available to anybody and everybody that's listening right now. I will put it in the show notes, which will be stormlily.com slash 82. 
but you can also head directly to stormlily.com slash goals, and you can get that goal setting cheat sheet right there for you. So again, it's stormlily.com slash goals. I'll make sure that that is in the link um, or in the show notes for you as a link as well. But I wanted to just make sure you know that's available because you will hear Alexa talk about goals. And as you're thinking about that, I wanted to make sure you know that there's a free cheat sheet available to you. So without any further ado, I cannot wait for you to meet Alexa. So let's jump on into the interview. Alexa, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. I'm truly so, so grateful for your gift of time today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You bet. Well, as I introduced you briefly before um, this segment that I'm putting in on the podcast, I just shared a little bit about how we connected, but I haven't shared in depth because I don't really know as much in depth. So I would love for you to share a little bit about your personal background. Of course, we know that you're Mike Major's daughter, and uh, this interview is publishing the week after my interview with him. But let's talk about you personally and your background and experience, both business and equine. Yeah, definitely. I grew up in Scholar, Colorado, a small agricultural town in southeastern Colorado, and was heavily involved in 4-H and FFA. And that led me to pursue a degree of agricultural communications from Texas Tech University, where I graduated in 2016. So while I was there, I really thought that I would be working in marketing and promotion for rodeo or Western industry companies after graduation. And I found myself interning at Rodeo Austin, as well as San Antonio Livestock Show and Rodeo during my time in college. Once I got to that point of graduation, trying to decide really what I was going to do with my life, I just found that I wasn't done learning. And so I found myself at the um, Masters of International Agriculture program at Oklahoma State. And that kind of took my life for a wild ride. Um, And I really just took an interest in international agriculture, specifically in Africa and um, the people there and how they know, contribute to agriculture industry and found myself um, writing a thesis on women's empowerment through agriculture with with an organization called Field of Hope. Um, Once I completed my internship in that thesis, I ended up taking a position full-time as a program manager at Field of Hope and now am the executive director of the nonprofit. I found myself wearing a lot of hats. I still compete and I still ride horses almost every day. I obviously work with my dad and his horse training business, but then my husband is also a horse trainer. And so I help him with the business side, the promotional side, and then of course the actual showing, uh, making sure that our horses are ready to go in the ring when we have them there. I've showed a little bit in the AQHA, but most of the time you'll find me breakaway roping at jackpots and rodeos um, outside of the AQHA show world. So that's a very, very brief overview of my kind of background and how I got to be where I'm at today. Awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. And I actually had forgotten when I was writing my notes, your husband was uh, the pin wrangler for your dad, right? That's correct. Yes. Um, that's, that's cool. I, I had forgotten that. And so you have your hands in a lot of things, of course, which I know many of my listeners will identify with, uh, where you wear a lot of hats at your day job and then, uh, at, with your dad's business and your husband's business as well. So I know that therefore you have a lot of experience and things that I know that are going to be super helpful to share today with my listeners. So as I had visited with your dad, we talked about how a lot of horse business owners 
start out in business, not really meaning to start a business, right? They really just want to work with horses for a living and make their money doing that. And then all of a sudden that turns into a business. Now, I'd be curious because you, of course, can now speak from the side of watching your husband grow a business and your dad uh, and watching many others just in your overall involvement. But I would love for you to speak about what you've maybe seen and experienced with your involvement in the industry. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. So many people start with their passion first, right? And the business comes later. And then they find themselves just trying to navigate all the unknowns of a business um, on top of their passion. And so I think that it really requires a lot of intentionality. Um, You know, for me personally, I have a full-time job. So my side of the horse um, interests, if you will, or horse involvement doesn't necessarily need to be ran as a business. Of course, we all want to break even or make some money, um, but really it comes from just my passion and, and wanting to be involved and having this as a hobby. Whereas my husband's side really comes from the business and this is, you know, how he makes his living. Um, I think it requires us both to be really intentional it requires intentional conversations. Um, and so I think that I guess my number one recommendation for most people, and I even talk with my friends about this is, are you doing this to have a business or are you doing this, you know, to enjoy and have fulfillment in your life? Um, and I think that kind of that one question really helps you start from scratch and really establish which direction to go. Um, because of social media and because so many people have successful horse businesses, I feel like sometimes we almost err in the side of business where we think we should monetize, you know, what we're doing in our spare time or monetize, um, what we're doing with our horses just because everyone else is. And I think that, uh, for a lot of people, if you step back and just recognize, okay, I don't have to, you know, this doesn't have to be a profitable business. You can find yourself enjoying it a lot more. Um, and you can kind of give yourself that joy back on the same side of that coin or on the other side of that coin, though, you find that there is an opportunity for great business here if you're intentional about that business. And so um, I think, you know, the horse world, thankfully, is so flexible and it meets everyone at different levels. There are so many opportunities for you, no matter your level of commitment or your level of skill. And so I think just really being true to yourself and recognizing what your goals are, whether that be business oriented or not. Uh, really helps everyone be successful kind of in their own lane, if you will. Oh, that's so true. And so, so good that um, I actually have a different podcast episode that I will make sure and link to in the show notes where a few weeks ago, we talked about that idea of, are you doing it for fun? Is it a hobby or is it a business? But like you said, it requires actually sitting down and making that decision. And then you can decide, okay, no, this is just a hobby. I'm going to do it for fun. And like you said, then it puts the joy back into it. But on the other side, if you're trying to run it as a business, but you're treating it as a hobby, then you're certainly going to have a hard time building up a profitable business that way. Definitely. You know, I work for a nonprofit and it's so easy for everyone to say, oh, you're a nonprofit. You don't need to worry about kind of those business things. And that's so not true. You'll actually, my board of directors would tell you all the time. I'm saying, okay, we need to operate as a for-profit business, even though we're just reallocating our profits in a different way. You know, we still need to function um, at a high level and the same thing for your horse business. It's no different than your construction business or your accounting firm. Um, You know, it's a business and it still should be operated as such. And so often the relationships that we build, you know, my dad talked about his clients being family. Um, So often those relationships can kind of get a little muddy when you put, try to put them into a business perspective, but it really is uh, the most important thing to do to keep 
your family, you know, yourself, everybody on the, on the right path and making sure that you're, you're profitable, which is every business's goal, but also that you are enjoying it and able to um, get the return on the investments that you're making in both time and money. Yeah, absolutely. Such good points. Well, I'd love to dive in a little bit into your particular involvement um, with your dad and Mike Major Horsemanship. And of course, He's been doing it for quite a while, right? So marketing has looked different for his business over the years, I am sure. Um, But as you have stepped into the role of handling his marketing in the past few years or months, you can correct me and tell me exactly how long you've been doing it. But I would love for you to walk us through some of the things that you have been intentional to do in order to get things in order there from a business or marketing perspective. Yeah, definitely. Yes, dad has definitely been doing this way longer than I've been alive. Um, So it's been (laughs) really fun for me. And I think I underestimated the influence it had on me throughout my whole life, just seeing the different iterations of his business and the things he's been able to accomplish and do and see through his business. Um, But then also has been, you know, there's obviously been so many lessons learned of what to do and what not to do as, as his business has grown and developed over the years. Um, I have been working this time. Um, I've been in and out several times, but this oh, time okay. I've been working with Mike Major Horsemanship uh, just under a year. And so when he accepted the invitation to go to Road to the Horse, I think it was a good just wake up call, if you will, or just a good point for us to reevaluate what the business model looked like at the time and try to get try to help dad just be clear on what he wanted it to look like moving forward. Because because Road to the Horse is such an opportunity, whether or not you win, um, such an opportunity to gain a platform and a new following and you know new new people as part of the family. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we utilized that opportunity and and made it something um, that we were prepared for, but then something that that could sustain Dad and his business in the future. And so that was really kind of where I stepped in and where we started was figuring out you know our our business goals, if you will, kind of like I was talking about before being intentional about what are we, what aren't we dad, you know, sitting down with him and saying, what do you want to do? What do you want to offer as far as services go? Um, and what aren't you interested in? And so kind of just business development more than anything, sitting down and establishing um, our objectives and then just building that out. I think uh, we've had a lot of help, thankfully, in terms of social media and kind of our web design and photography. Um, I dabble in all of those things, but I can't say that I'm an expert in any of them. So uh, we really reached out to some of our our network and, and found those people that are more so experts. Um, and then just shared with them kind of those business objectives that we did have. Um, and one of the first things I did uh, from a communications background was, here's our brand guide. These are the colors. This is the voice we're using. This is our logo. Um, this is the official you know, JPEG of the brand. And just those simple things to create that consistency, to start building that brand recognition were so important, I think, because over the years, um, you know, the business hadn't been maintained because it's so easy to let those things fall to the wayside when you're showing and you're winning world championships. Um, it's really hard to, you know, maintain, oh, do I care what my logo colors are? Or <laughs> right. Do I have to put that on the cap? You know, that's just definitely not something that my dad thinks about in the, every day. Um, and so just trying to reestablish like what the brand was um, and what services we were offering was kind of where we started. And then from there, it was, you know, identifying the audience. What do people want um, as, in relation to what we're offering? And how can we help them understand um, what we're selling? And, and so that's where it gets a little muddy, you know, for me. And I think for a lot of people in the horse business is it is personal, no matter what, um, you know, my dad 
his passion with horses is personal to him and his gift with horses is personal to him. And the relationships he's building through this horse industry or through the horse business are still personal to him. So um, sometimes it can be hard to quote unquote, sell that, right. That personality or um, that gift, it's hard to justify monetizing it. Um, So you have to kind of find a balance there. And that was something that we really, we talked about a lot last summer was, okay, you know, what, how do we be true to Mike major, but still make this function as a business and make sure that there's profits coming in so he can continue to do this. And so, um, you know, I think that's important. I think it's important to have those kind of conversations uh, and then just be really intentional about building that out. Um, and all that to say, I think there's more, more coming from the Mike major horsemanship uh, family. We have a, a lot of great ideas that we're excited to kind of launch maybe later this summer. Um, and so that's another thing. Your business has to always be evolving. And so that's what we've been been trying to help dad out with. You know, we no longer technically offer horses to the public through the mainstream media as we may have before. You know, we're not selling them on Facebook. We're not selling them on the website because that just wasn't manageable for us. Um, and that wasn't something that we found putting a lot of effort in. So that was just a way we were intentional about kind of scaling back the business to do what we were doing really well, rather than trying to do a lot of things just okay. Okay. That's super interesting. That's just that part, because your dad's passion obviously was the, is the bloodline and the breeding. Like in our conversation with him, he mentioned that multiple times. Um, so I would love, if you could share a little bit more about what did coming to that conclusion look like? So you're saying you will still sell them, but not to the public. So maybe just to clients or people you already have a relationship with just kind of trying to streamline things or what did that look like for you all? Yeah. You know, and I'm not sure that we have like a clear cut answer because if you called my dad today and asked if we had something for sale, he definitely <laughs> would tell you about some of the two-year-olds sitting out in the pasture. Uh-huh. Um, but over the last, I mean, five years, I would say dad really has um, cut back as far as breeding goes. You know, he's focused more on outside show horses and showing takes up so much time. Um, he's cutting back from that now too, but at the time, um, you know, breeding is, it's a long it's a long game. It's not a short-term mm-hmm. game. You're not mm-hmm. just uh, breeding things and selling them as soon as it comes out. You wait a year and then you have a, a two to three year investment in that one horse um, as far as training goes and feed and care. And if, you know, we all know how horses are. I just got back from the vet, not even 30 minutes ago, um, <laughs> some, something pop up. And so that's just a long-term investment. And to see that return um, you know, it's just a little bit more risky. And so dad is still breeding. He is still producing horses of his own. He's still training them, but where he has found it to be most profitable and to get the highest return on his investment of time more than anything is the outside horse training in the clinics. And so, um, kind of, I don't want to say separating those two, but almost in an internal way, um, bringing those two separately and having the horsemanship side, which truly is the knowledge and skill and educating others and horses. Um, and then having the breeding being kind of going back to what I was saying about having the hobbies versus businesses, having that breeding being something more personal that dad can manage, um, on his own, where it's not, we're not trying to constantly, you know, Hey dad, we're behind on this three-year-old. We need you to put another 60 days on it before we can market it. Um, that's something that he can take and, and have that be personal. If someone comes and is willing to purchase a horse that maybe isn't at the training level that others are, you know, then that's their own prerogative, but it's not necessarily tied to the business where there's this added pressure of getting those horses turned around, getting the photos up, um, 
you know, handling those things on a virtual environment. The thing about social media and the website is it's, it's beauty. It's a beautiful thing that you can reach so many people so fast um, and so quickly, but it is also an easy way for things to, you know, just become unmanageable because when you put a horse on Facebook for sale or, you know, you you, um, promote one on sale, you'll have 500 people comment and call on them, but you may Mm -hmm. only have five people who are really interested in purchasing the horse. And so um, we just had to get kind of real about what our time capacity was and then um, dive into where we really wanted to put that time um, or, you know, spend that capacity of time. And so we are still selling horses. My dad would uh, not be happy for me saying we aren't, but the number <laughs> of horses that we're selling annually have, has definitely decreased. And um, we're just trying to be a lot more intentional, making sure that the horses we are producing are those that we're happy to have the stick horse brand on and that dad has spent some intentional time with. And, um, you know, kind of do that more on a a private sale basis rather than posting on Facebook or the website and just letting people come as they will. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Alexa, the only thing I can think is if you didn't already have a job, I guarantee you people listening to this would be like, I need an Alexa on my team. Cause you're obviously asking such great questions, uh, to guide what that business should look like for moving forward in just such a way, like you said, for so many people, when they're out showing, when they're out doing the thing that they love to do and why they got into business in the first place, they're not sitting there thinking, okay, what do I want my business to look like in two years from now? Right. What do I want it to look like from five years from now? But I had um, Barbara Schulte on the podcast, maybe in March. Um, And one of the things that she said, she said she started doing online programs because she said at some point horse trainers have to retire. She's like, you know, you can't do trade the, the time for the money all the time. And so I'm sure that I'm not saying your dad mentioned anything about retiring in our conversation. I'm not suggesting he is. However, I'm sure that you guys are having that conversation about, okay, long term, what do we want this to look like so that you can still do what you love to do in five years or whatever the case may be. And just having that long-term picture, not everybody has that and not everybody has somebody in their corner that's willing to ask those hard questions and really, truly probably make people uncomfortable, right? Like, I'm sure this wasn't like a super fun conversation for you guys. I guarantee there were some uncomfortable moments because you're having to push somebody outside of their comfort zone a little bit. But on the other side of that, man, the clarity that you have from asking those questions and being able to know how to move forward there's so much freedom in that clarity, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, you said so much right there. Um, it, I mean, like you said, dad is nowhere near to retiring. I'm, I firmly believe that he'll be on the back of the horse till his last day, but, um, it is something, especially as his daughter, you know, we're thinking of the next steps. We want to give him that freedom. If he wants to go travel the world, we want him to be able to do that in a manageable way that he's not feeling guilty because there's horses sitting in a stall at home that aren't being ridden. Um, and so finding that freedom in the business which is so hard to do from a horse trainer's perspective. You know, it, I have a really unique perspective because here I am with my husband and we're kind of in the trenches of getting, getting our business off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here I am with my dad and he's, he's been there and he's done it. And, you know, nine times out of 10, he's probably won it. And so, um, seeing him try to, uh, find the, the next stage of the business has been really interesting and, and it's something we want to help him find. And so I do think that I'm a big goals person, no matter what, if you've, if you ever talked to me for very long, <laughs> I love it. Goals, how important they are. 
Um, but I think like that transfers to your business and it's so important to know what your objectives are. And it's so important to be thinking the five years ahead, um, you know, and that ties back into my day job too. We're, we're a develop agricultural development organization and we work in sustainable development. So we're always thinking of the long game. We're always thinking of not even five or 10 years from now, but 25 years from now, how are the people that we're working with going to be better for the work that we're doing and what pitfalls might there be that we're missing right now? that we're not seeing that could come up and how are we going to address those? And in the horse business, you have to do that too. We all know that the horse business, you know, falls with the economic uh, state of the country. And so even right now with fuel being astronomical, we have to be thinking ahead as horse business owners, how are we going to navigate when that happens? And how are we being fair to ourselves and to our clients? If, if you're training or working with the public um, in times like this, where we all can still obtain those objectives or obtain those goals that we have for these individual horses or for these programs, um, but still everyone, you know, be making enough money to, to put food on the table at the end of the day. Um, it is important. And it's just, I think, intentionality, if I have any word for you today, it's to be intentional. Um, <laughs> in that planning phase and asking the hard questions because they are hard and they are uncomfortable. And, um, and like I said, so many of us, we have a passion for horses. Well, there's so many options when it comes to a horse of what you can do with your life um, or your business, as far as the horse goes. And, and I think sometimes we want to do it all, but at the end of the day, it goes kind of back. You know, I think my dad even said that on his podcast, we, we need to do those things. It's quality over quantity. We need to do the things that we're doing really well. Um, and then build out from there. If if you need to, sometimes you don't need to, and you have those two things that you do really well and you just continue on with those. So it just comes with a lot of planning and intentionality and, and objective and goal setting really. Yeah. I love that. Which like you said, a lot of horse business owners initially are like, I that's I'm with you. I'm like goals. Yes. Let's talk about that. And some people are like, Oh, and some people, honestly, a lot of my clients are like, I do know I need to talk about that. I just need somebody to ask me those questions. So that's where having that coach and having somebody that can kind of walk you through that process. A lot of my listeners are not necessarily saying I hate goals. They're just saying like, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what goals are reasonable or, you know, what area do I focus in and all those things. So that's why having that outside person, just like your dad said, having somebody that's outside of it, that can ask those questions, that's enthusiastic about what you're doing and can help push you and push the envelope a little bit is just so valuable. Definitely. And, you know, we all want to put the cart before the horse. We all want, I think when we all sit back and think about what our goals are, we see that, you know, championship buckle or the championship globe, um, before we think about how to get there. And so start with the big ones and then go back and really set those small ones. Um, yeah. And have a conversation. Um, you know, I know my dad would love to talk to anybody about horse business. You might have to ask him a few more questions and to really get those answers, but, um, there's so many out there willing to share their knowledge. And, um, sometimes it will be someone you don't expect either, but definitely finding that community and, and working with someone to ask those questions is important. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The other thing that I noted that you said that I think that a lot of people probably identify with is that idea of the passion being personal to you, right? So you said that your dad's passion with horses is personal to him. And I bet your husband would say the same thing. Um, but at the same time, sometimes they have a hard time justifying monetizing that right and figuring out pricing and and all of those things for people that are having a hard time justifying monetizing their hobby to build a business what would you say to that 
I would say two things. Um, the first one is it has to be a business and no business is viable if it's not profitable. And so we're, you know, you're talking about those three-year gains or um, I took an entrepreneurship class and I was in grad school and they always talked about your first three years. Yeah. You'd probably be in the red, but those next three years, you better be in the black. And so um, you have to think profitability because that's the only way you're going to be able to continue doing what you're doing. Yes. We're all passionate about horses. Yes. Most of us are very passionate about helping others. But if you're not making money to sustain yourself, you're not going to be around to sustain and help others and horses along the way. So um, it's all about that sustainability factor. And, you know, profitability requires or profitability provides that sustainability for your business and for yourself. Um, And so even though it does feel selfish, I mean, my dad still to this day struggles with it when he had somebody over for lessons just a few weeks ago. Um, I was working while they were here. And I said, dad, if I have to go and be the one to ask them to pay <laughs> for their time, come and get me and I will cut, get off my call and I will come do it. But you have to be paid for your investment because not only are you, and I think that's where um, a lot of people in this industry can kind of get confused too. You just want them to pay you for that hour that they're there, or you just want them to pay for the training that they got but they need to pay for that. They also need to pay for the investment, pay you back for the investment you've made in the education you've received in, you know, horse, um, horse trainers have medical bills. Um, mm-hmm. And so you have to make sure that the investment in your body that you've received, um, the investment in your equipment, your saddles, your tack, and then of course the investment in feed. And so you have to make sure that you're charging to cover all of those investments that you've already made. And that's hard if, but honestly, put it down on paper and work it out, you know, and if you are just charging your, your clients 15% of that over a course of a year, then if you have 50, however many clients it takes to make up that hundred percent, then that's what you need to do. Um, because if it all comes back to that statement, if you aren't profitable, you're not sustainable. And for you to obtain the objectives of helping others and helping horses, you have to be sustainable. And so um, it's kind of this mindset shift. And honestly, I would, I feel a lot better about going somewhere and paying someone for the knowledge that they may share with me than I do about going somewhere and not paying them because I want to know that I can go back later. Right. And so I'd much rather pay them for that knowledge up front um, and then go back and pay them again, uh, knowing that they'll be there rather than them helping me for free that day. And then knowing that in five months, they might not be there when I have another question or problem because I didn't pay for them the first time. So I think you'll find a lot of, of grace amongst the community to pay you what you're worth. Um, and then the second thing I would say is opportunity cost. And this is something my husband probably would roll my eyes if he heard me talking about it because I'm always talking to him about it is the opportunity cost. Um, you know, so say yes, like you may, I, we just have opportunity costs everywhere. So while it may take you just an hour for you to give that lesson, that's an hour that you aren't spending a horseback. Um, that's an hour that you're not, you know, cleaning those stalls, or it's an hour that you're not going to the grocery store. There's an opportunity cost there for that hour of time. And so you have to figure out that a way to monetize your time. Um, and I think that's the number one issue with horse trainers um, across the globe are monetizing their time because my husband and I have this conversation too, is, well, I, ma- I made good money, you know, on selling this horse after I've had it for so long. Okay. Yeah, you did. If we're just doing the cost of the horse, you know, when he, when he got here and the cost, when he left, but how many hours did you spend making that horse that much better? And did you truly make money? If we were to put a $60 an hour, you know, 
um, and I'm not saying that's what we do, but for example, a $60 sure. an hour fee on that, are you, you know, did you monetize and did you make money using that um, kind of figure? And so monetizing that time is important. Um, and of course, you know, things one day dad may get on spotlight, yellow house Canyon, and it may take 15 minutes to get to where he wants that horse to be at the end of the day. And the next day it may take two hours. Like that is hard to do when you're talking about horses. Um, so I think it's a lot easier when you go into the more of those people to people interactions, but you do have to figure out that, that time monetization and the opportunity costs, because whenever you spend time on anything, there's something else you could have spent time on, especially in the horse world, <laughs> there's always something to do. And so if we're spending time in one way, we need to be sure that we're covering the cost that it took you know, when it took us away from those other things that we could have been doing during that time. So I don't know if that's really clear, um, but I really do just encourage people to don't forget this as a business first. If, if that's the route you take, if you truly want to, um, you know, do this for a living, don't forget that you have to do it for a living and be making money so that you can continue to do it and continue to make that living. Um, otherwise it is going to turn into something where you have a day job and this is a hobby on the side. Um, because you, you can't, it's not sustainable to do it otherwise. That's so golden. Thank you, Alexa. You just took it and run with it. And there's so much goodness there. Um, even just that idea of monetizing your time, which like you said, that is, that's not easy to do, um, for sure, especially for service-based providers, you know, putting a value on that. But if you don't figure out what that's going to be for you, then yeah, it'll be detrimental to your business in the long term. And then for a lot of people, it's that, then realizing how do you articulate that value to the public so that they understand why you charge the prices you charge, right? It's the reason that a trained horse costs less or costs more than a horse at the sale barn. You know what I mean? Like because of the time that has been put into it. Yes, breeding and all those things too. Um, but still, when you have a trainer that's putting that time into a horse, that increases the value of it for a reason because that time is worth something. So that's golden. I appreciate that. Definitely. Yeah, no, thank you. You said something there that really resonated with me about communicating then your justification for your pricing to, to the community, you know, or to the people you're working with. And that part is so important. I think transparency really is valued among the Western industry or the horse industry as a whole. And so, yeah, charge what you're worth, you know, make sure you're, you're monetizing that time, but then be transparent about it. Nine times out of 10, when we sit down with a client and show with them, you know, show them these are our costs on our side. And this is why we are, you know, charging what we're charging. They totally understand. Um, but so many times people just want to say, well, that's just my cost, you know, or that's just what I charge. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. Um, and really, you're doing a disservice to not only yourself when you do that, but you're doing a disservice to the community of trainers out there because so many, um, of the people who are involved in the horse industry don't have the experience or, you know, the education of what it really does cost to be a horse trainer or, you know, what investments you are making on the backside. And so when we can sit down with them and just be transparent about what costs are involved, most people are going to totally understand your, your cost bracket and your, your prices. And they're going to be more than happy to pay you for the investments that you've made. And so you're right. You hit the nail on the head again, just communicating why you're, why you're charging what you're charging and being fully transparent about that really does um, make that, make that monetization of time and, and asking people to pay those prices a little bit easier. Yeah, that's good. That's really good insight. Okay. You have shared so much good information and great questions for my listeners to be asking themselves. And I so appreciate it. So before we close out, I always just like to give an open 
floor and just ask if there's anything else that you feel like my listeners should know about how they can intentionally be marketing and building their horse businesses. Yeah, I, you know, be genuine to you, figure out what your brand is. And that goes beyond the logo and the colors, but truly, you know, what the values of your brand are and, um, and don't be afraid to, to market those and, and monetize all of those assets that you're bringing to the table as far as the horse business goes or your specific business goes, um, you know, be genuine, be transparent and be intentional. Make sure you're planning for those next three to five years and go have fun, do what we love to do and enjoy it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, exactly. Because you're getting to do something that's so amazing and getting to work with horses um, is such a blessing. So that's great. Yes. Go out and enjoy it. All right. Well, I will have um, an outline of this conversation in the show notes. Uh, It'll be episode 82. So everyone listening, you can go to stormnilly.com slash 82. Yeah, definitely. So you can find more information about dad's business. MikeMajorHorsemanship.com is our website. Um, we do have clinic information up there as well as dad's bio. And we will have hopefully soon our merchandise listed online. Um, you can also find him at Mike Maj- excuse me, Mike Major Horsemanship on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, I think it's MikeMajor.Horsemanship on Instagram. If anyone has any questions, or wants to have any further conversations. I love to do this on this side. So um, just let me know if you guys have any questions. Um, and I will, Denise, if you don't mind, just share a little bit more about my organization. If you guys no, are I would interested. Love that. Yeah, please do. Yeah. If you're interested in learning about what we're doing in Africa, as far as agricultural development goes, the organization is called Field of Hope. And you can find out more information at fieldofhope.org. Um, but I really appreciate the time. And thanks for letting me share all that good information, Denise. Yes. Thank you for sharing so openly. I know this is going to be such valuable and helpful information. So thank you. All right, friends. What did I tell you? Do you not love Alexa and just the major family? I'm just so grateful for them joining me on the podcast and sharing their insights. And I hope that you found this episode as well as my interview with Mike so helpful. I really appreciate that Alexa brings such a unique perspective because she does have a background of running a nonprofit and being in marketing and communications, but she also has a background of seeing her dad do what he does for so long and to build a brand that now is allowing him to have some different freedom, but then to also see how her husband is building that brand from the ground up. So I think that no matter where you are on your journey and your business, that you can probably take something super valuable away from what Alexa shared here today. So again, I would be so grateful. Would you share your takeaways? Let me know what is most helpful to you. Let Alexa know that it has been so good to have her on the podcast and let Mike know as well. Go find them on social, go find them on Facebook and Instagram or send me an email and I will make sure that they know how much they're being here and sharing their knowledge, their wisdom, and their insight has been a help to you. Now, again, if you have not yet grabbed your free gold cheat sheet, then I would invite you to do that. You can go to stormlily.com slash goals. But as Alexa was talking, I could not help but think about the idea of her saying the key word is intentionality, right? And when you do that, then you're going to experience uh, so much more success because you're making intentional choices, just like Mike talked about. And part of that intentionality is knowing the direction you're going and goals is definitely one way to help you do that. So stormlily.com slash goals. I will have that in the show notes, which will be stormlily.com slash 82. 
All right, again, I'm so grateful for you being here. If you have found this helpful, would you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so that you know every week when there's a new episode? And then would you share it with a friend? Let others know that this is here as a tool and a free resource that's available for anybody who might need it. And again, thank you for being here. I'll see you again next week with a brand new topic. And until then, have an awesome day. Bye.